Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Today on the One and O podcast, we will talk about Texas' most recent win over Kansas State, culminating with another last-second field goal by Cameron Dicker against the Institution of Higher Learning from Kansas. Before we talk about how Texas will have to travel to the cold weather in Ames, Iowa, in order to take on Brock Purdy in the Cyclones. We'll also touch on a couple other topics, but make sure you listen to both our show and Everyone Gets a Trophy, hosted by Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. Please subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to leave us a review to let us know what you'd like to hear about. If you'd like to contact us directly, please send us emails at everyone gets a trophy with the number one at gmail.com. That's everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. And of course, this podcast cannot be sponsored with help from a few sponsors. No doubt about it. Got to give some love to audio visual consultations. AVConsultations.com, the website, 255 8678. That's 512 255 8678. The phone number to call when you want the home TV setup of your dreams. AV Consultations can make that happen. And also, we are sponsored by Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here in Central Texas, available wherever you shop for beer in the 512, and also expanding now to Dallas and Houston as well. Make sure you pick up a six-pack of Altstadt Beer in the near future. It is Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. So we both uh, were wrong. Um, we we both picked Kansas State, correct? Even though Vegas told us not to think that way, even though you know returning health taught us not to think mm-hmm. that, that that way, we were both wrong in our pick of Kansas State. Hey, over we were Texas. right in Kansas State plus six and a half against Texas. Now you and I both picked the Wildcats to win the game outright. So in that regard, we were wrong. But that line felt big, and it turned out to be a little bit too big. But yes, I will admit when I'm wrong. I was wrong. You were wrong. We were both wrong, and we're proud of it. That's that's okay. Exactly. But this was a a game that Texas definitely needed to win in order to maintain their Big 12 title hopes. They're not in control of their own destiny. They need some help, but you can't get there if you don't win this past game. And, of course, it's something that you mentioned coming out of the bye week. You know, This was a game Texas was waiting on and waiting on and waiting on. They couldn't go out right away and get rid of those problems that TCU had presented to them. They had to wait on this game, and they had to wait until basically the very end of the game to know that they, what they had done in the weeks prior was able to help them somewhat set the ship in the right direction. Yeah, this was a must-win game for the Longhorns. Honestly, all of these games are must-win games for the Longhorns at this point. And the way the season set itself out, the way the schedule worked out this year, you could kind of split this thing up into three quadrants, into three mini-seasons within the 2019 season, right? Twelve regular season games. Texas played four, then had a bye week. Then they played four more had a bye week, and then now we're in the home stretch. We're in the final four, if you will, of the 2019 season. So the first four, they went 3-1. and one. The only loss to LSU turned out to be a pretty good loss, if there is such a thing. LSU's the number one team in the most recent CFP Top 25 poll. The middle tier was the month of October was not good. Texas went 2-2 two and two and struggled in the two victories, including needing a last-second dicker the kicker kick to beat Kansas. Now we're in that final third of the season, into the month of November. This is money time. If Texas wants to get back to Jerry World, they've got to find a way to get the job done in this month. And it's very similar to last year. Look, at this point in the season, Texas was 6-3. and three. 
and 4-2 and two in conference play a year ago. That's exactly where they are this year. So as bad as the month of October was, and obviously you've got to win out and get some help from Oklahoma this week against Baylor, but as bad as the month of October seemed for this Texas team, they are exactly where they were last year in a year that ended in a Big 12 title game and in the Sugar Bowl appearance as well. So they needed it, and they got back on track with the win. That was big time. Yeah, and they were rewarded for their play. I'm not going to say great play, but they were rewarded for their play, rewarded for their win over the then number 16 team in the college football playoff. Uh, the committee has ranked them as the number 19 team in the college football playoff. The rankings are great. you got to have 25 number, but they're probably not going to crack the top 10 until unless something crazy, some crazy run happens at the end of the year. But when you're talking playoffs, the only number that really matters is four. Still, it's a nice little consolation, I guess, some sort of validation yeah. that you're doing okay, but Texas should and obviously does expect more than okay. I've almost, I'm almost going to go Texas hater on this bit right here. Like, I feel like Texas is only ranked where they're at because they're Texas. Like the Longhorns are the highest-ranked three-loss team in college football. Now, the team behind them is Iowa, who's also 6-3, and three, and I think Texas is better than Iowa, but there's always skepticism when Texas appears to be overranked and I mean, I, they're seven-point underdogs against a 5-4 and four team this weekend. Like, should the Longhorns really be ranked in the top 20? I mean, maybe that's more of a testament to what's going on in the rest of college football. But I guess it doesn't matter. Like you said, this team's not playing for style points anymore. They know what they have to do to get to the Big 12 championship game, to get back to the Sugar Bowl. And regardless of if they have a number to the left of their name, that doesn't really matter. Maybe that's freeing. Maybe that helped them out this past weekend. But one thing that definitely helped them out this past weekend, I think one of the primary reasons they were able to win this game was how the defense was able to take basically some knockout punches but still get back up from the canvas and and go on and basically help this team win the game. We've got first quarter stats, Kansas State 14 first quarter points, 159 total yards including I think what was a 70-yard touchdown, yep. wide open touchdown on third down. After that, Everything that Todd Orlando's defense did, or at least a lot of what Todd Orlando's defense did, was able to stymie what Kansas State did. In the second quarter alone, after giving up 159 yards in the first quarter, Texas allowed 87 yards in the second quarter. Then in the third quarter, they allowed 29 total yards. And in the fourth quarter, allowed 29 total yards. The defense itself, after giving up those two first quarter touchdowns, gave up just three more points. Yeah. Kansas State obviously grabbed that uh, uh, touchdown on a kickoff return, which, hey, more special teams problems hmm. for Texas. But yeah, they had one good punt return, finally, with Brandon Jones. Positive. Leads to a touchdown for Texas, but it's why we have trust issues, or why I have trust issues, and why we can't have nice things. As soon as Texas makes one good play on special teams, the very next opportunity on a special teams play, they give up a touchdown, which let K-State back into the game. Exactly, and I think what you saw from Texas on defense was if teams want to line up against them and try to out-physical them, like taking two tight ends on, putting a fullback in the game, that's not going to work against guys like Mauro Jomo, Keandre Coburn, Taquan Graham, all those guys, Malcolm Roach. It's just not going to work, and I know that people saw a four-man front against those heavy formations. That's dictated by personnel. It's not what they normally get into. When you got that much beef on the field, you want to respond with your own beef. But Texas was able to basically shut down that aspect of Kansas State's offense. Now, them being on a, what, third string running back or something like that, I'm assuredly helped some. Uh, but 
once Brandon Jones forced that fumble uh, earlier in the first half, the tide really started to turn from that point, and Texas was able to take control, basically, of the of the game based on their defense. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, look, football, it's not that complicated. We make it very complicated here in 2019, but it, come to, it comes down to blocking and tackling. Always has, always will. And Texas won both of those facets of the game on Saturday. And that wasn't the case in the month of October, right? The lines of scrimmage... Being out physical is what we saw more often than not from this Texas team over the last couple of weeks, but they were the more physical team, and that's manifested in the rushing numbers from Saturday, right? For the Longhorns, 36 carries, 214 rushing yards. That's an average of about six per carry. Meanwhile, for Kansas State, a team that came into the game averaging 217 rushing yards per game, Texas held them to just 51 rushing yards on 26 carries, not even two yards a pop there. So that's the difference. And Kansas State, the third-best time-of-possession team in all of college football, Texas was able to win the time-of-possession battle by nearly three minutes against K-State because they were able to, to establish the run, and perhaps more importantly, they were able to prevent Kansas State from establishing their own rushing attack. That was the difference in this ballgame. Yeah, we talked about time-of-possession. What was Kansas State third or something like yep. that in the country in time-of-possession? And then Texas was able to hold on to the ball for 31 minutes. They won that battle. And what was the, the other stat that you gave last week that about Tom Herman? Whenever his teams win the rushing battle, they're undefeated, or something something along those 40 lines. Forty carries, they're undefeated. They carries. didn't quite get to 40, but his record is well above 500 when his teams do win the rushing battle. And that was on a lot of what Keontae Ingram was able to do, and what one of his best games as a Longhorn. Uh, basically, the offense was, I guess, efficient. There was some some hiccups, specifically uh, penalties, like like what seems to be a recurring problem. Uh, Sam Ellinger tried to force the ball into a window that it may have been there had a the Kansas State corner who made a great play on the ball not gone off of uh, Malcolm Epps's route. Which I mean, if you're gonna go off a route, that's a good person to to do it off of, especially if you are. Mr. Neal Jr. Uh, from Kansas State. But other than that, the offense didn't give a ton of reason to be to be disappointed. Uh, the flea flicker uh, was always, was a nice touch, and it was a well-executed flea flicker. Mm-hmm. They did try to get cute a couple times, but really the thing that stopped Texas a lot was, was itself. I mean, they got into a position to kick a uh, field goal, penalty, penalty, 57-yard miss. Getting to first and goal, I believe, and then you – throw a holding penalty, either a hold or a block in the back on Sam Ellinger, and then a hold on a, or a personal foul on Parker Braun. I may be mixing the time up there, but there was definitely an opportunity when Texas had first and goal and ended up, I think, in, at its like own 34-yard or at the opposing 34-yard line. So really good game. They were out, able to out-physical on the trenches in the offensive line. Uh in order to get that run game going, again, Keontae Ingram probably delivered one of his best games as a Longhorn, able to run open because of some of the wrinkles provided by Texas's offense and took advantage of his opportunities. Yeah, I think it was Keontae Ingram's best game as a Longhorn. I mean, he averaged nearly nine yards a carry against what was a pretty uh, okay rushing defense in Kansas State. But, uh, yeah, Keontae Ingram was spectacular. Roshan Johnson looked good as well. And it wasn't a perfect performance. You mentioned the Sam Ellinger interception. I think the throw was there. I just think he was late. And he doesn't have the arm talent. He doesn't have the zip on his footballs that 
are needed to be a split second late when throwing into a tight window like that. So I don't think the decision was that bad. It looks like he threw it into double or triple coverage, but if he was a split second earlier, I think the play was there. The defensive back just made a good play on the football. Yeah, nine penalties for 85 yards as a team. Just some dumb ones. Some dumb ones, and a lot by the offensive line, too. Cosme had a couple of holds. You mentioned the Parker Braun personal foul. Uh, that just You kill drives with stuff like that, and Texas has been doing that. You use the term recurring theme. That has been the case for this Longhorn team. You saw Jalen Green on defense with a total cheap shot. I mean, let's call it what it is. Uh, the targeting penalty that got him ejected in the fourth quarter of a three-point football game mm-hmm. at the time. And, I mean, that's just selfish from Jalen Green. And he couldn't play in the fourth quarter. Now he can't play in the first half against Iowa State as well. Like, some of this stuff doesn't fall on the coaching. I know generally you look at penalty numbers and you just blame the coaches. Like, oh, they're not very disciplined. It must be the coach's fault. Like, that play in particular, I mean, that's not on the coaches. It's that's losing just a, your cool. Yeah, it's just losing your cool. That's just a bonehead brain fart type play from Jalen Green, which he's played enough college football. He's played enough football. He's lived on this planet long enough to know that wasn't the right thing to do. So some of the penalties go on the players a little bit, but you're right, because it is a recurring theme, that is concerning. But back to the defense, Joe, I mean, you're right. The first 11 plays for Kansas State on offense, the Wildcats 138 yards and two touchdowns. They were averaging 12.5 yards per play. Not like yards per completion, 12.5 yards per play over the first 11 plays of this game, and they had 14 points within 10 minutes. But after that, Kansas State had a total of 166 yards on 42 plays, which is less than four yards per play. And they also only kicked one field goal. That was their only offensive points after the first two Wildcat drives. So credit Todd Orlando. And I know he's been FBI's most wanted here in Austin over the last couple of weeks. And believe me, the jury is still out and the jury should still be out for T.O. on whether or not he's the best choice, the right choice for defensive coordinator for this football team moving forward. But breaking this season up into three quadrants, we knew going into the final four-week stretch that Todd Orlando was coaching for his job. He passed his first test. He's one for one. Now he's got uh, bigger fists to fry moving forward. But as much as we've criticized Todd Orlando when things have gone wrong, you have to give him some credit for making some adjustments. More four down line uh, against Kansas State. Played some more zone coverage as the game progressed. More press coverage from the defensive backs as the game went on after that slow start. Adjustments, especially in-game, those haven't always been there with this Texas coaching staff this year. Uh, we saw a lot of those from Todd Orlando, and they really paid off. I'm curious how this was Caden Stern's first game back in several weeks. How do you think he was able to play this past weekend in his first action back. I think he was pretty good, and you had to feel his impact. I mean, the defense had its best performance in a long time, and it helps having just about everybody healthy and on the field. Caden Stearns is a freshman All-American last year. Like, he was the guy I wanted to see because we've seen this defense suck with B.J. Foster, with the Marvion Overshone, with Jeffrey McCulloch, who are the guys who missed the TCU game. Like, we've seen this defense still struggle, even with those guys on the field. We hadn't seen Caden Stern since LSU. Now, did the defense struggle against the Tigers? Yes, but every defense is struggling against LSU this year. Caden Stearns was the one guy who's like, all right, maybe he can just make things a little bit more normal for this Texas defense, and uh, so far, so good for sure. And look, as much... As much as I want to praise Todd Orlando and this Texas defense, and I, I think you should for what they did on Saturday, 
you also have to admit that Kansas State's offensive game plan was not a good one. Mm -hmm. Now, they did what they do, which is run the football a lot. They're like a Big Ten team playing in the Big 12. They want to establish the ground game. Like I said, they average 217 yards per game. You mentioned they've got tight ends. They've got fullbacks on the field. It's Big Ten football in the Big 12. That doesn't work against Texas. Like how Kansas State got the 14-0 lead, they threw the ball, and they threw it deep, and they threw it on early downs, and then for some reason as the game progressed, Kansas State just did what they normally do. Maybe it's not for some reason, right? That's what they're most comfortable doing. They took the ball out of Skylar Thompson's hands a little bit too much, and the weakness on this Texas defense is the secondary. Even though everybody is healthy, it still feels like that's the biggest weakness for the Longhorns. And Kansas State just tried so hard to establish the run on early downs as the game progressed that I think they might have cost themselves a win by doing that, and they really played into Todd Orlando's hands. Exactly. I I think that these types of offenses – are what Todd Orlando can stop. We saw it last year against Iowa State. You saw it in some fashion against Georgia, and when they started to pass a little bit more, that's when Texas was struggling again. And you saw it basically in every other game that Texas has struggled this season. But when these conventional, not-as-spread offenses come into Austin or Texas has to go travel to play them, for some reason, Texas just gets that. It's Maybe it's those blitzes work because playing in a phone booth is more – applicable and against those offenses maybe the blitzes just had their day this time but you're right it, it's this was not the right game plan by Kansas State it may it may have been shut down by what Todd Orlando was able to do after he made some adjustments but it whatever they did this was not a game where Texas lost on the headsets as they've done several times this year yeah and Kansas State started five for six on third down because they had a lot of third and manageables they ended five for 11 for the whole game so credit Texas for some of the adjustments once again I'm not saying don't credit or praise Todd Orlando for anything I'm just saying that was a favorable matchup even though we both picked Kansas State to win we did say last week on this podcast that This could be a best-case scenario for Texas. With all the guys coming back from injury and the fact that Kansas State has the worst passing offense in the Big 12, like Todd Orlando teams, Todd Orlando defenses sell out to stop the run on early downs, and Kansas State did that a lot. And Texas defensively, give them credit, they were more disciplined, they didn't miss nearly as many tackles as they have in previous weeks. But you're going up to Iowa State now. And I I don't know if we need to get off K-State just yet, but Iowa State's not going to let you do that. Like, Mm -hmm. Iowa State flings the ball around more than just about anybody in college football. Brock Purdy is sixth in the country in passing yards, and they throw it on early down. So it's going to be a different test for Texas this weekend. But how about this, Joe? Tom Herman now has as many wins against Kansas State as Mac Brown did. Ever. Not like Mac Brown in his first five years, not Mac Brown this, not Mac Brown that. Tom Herman, 3-0 and against K-State. Mac Brown, for his career, was 3-7 and against the Wildcats. For those who care, Charlie Strong 1-2 and against K-State. Purple Kryptonite. There you go. The nice. rain game. Yes, I was at that game, too. I was talking way too much trash to uh, some Kansas State walk-ons. That was a good time. Very fun talking trash when your team wins, you know. Um, purple Kryptonite is a phrase that has been used a lot around these parts and has been used a lot in Manhattan to describe their success on the football field against Texas. That hasn't been a thing for Tom Herman, which is pretty nice. Yeah, exactly. Kansas State, under under Bill Snyder when he was facing Mac Brown, under, what, Ron Prince one year? Mm. uh, Team built on physicality and beating the hell out of you. And 
as we saw late in Matt Brown's tenure, sometimes there were occasions where that wasn't Texas' game. But Tom Herman has tried to make sure that no matter what happens, they try to bring the best effort. They may not be in the right spot at all the certain times, but they try to bring their best effort with their big guys. And for some reason, that just has not been – Kansas State has not been able to overcome that. Maybe that's due to talent. Maybe that's due to just Tom Herman having that number. But it, it, it he has it so far. And uh, I guess we also would be remiss if we didn't mention works done by the wide receivers in this game. For I don't know when the last time this happened was. Maybe it was really recent. But Texas had two wide receivers with more than 100 yards in this game. And it's not like Sam Ellinger lit things up in this game. Mm-hmm. Only 263 passing yards. But Devin DuVernay, Colin Johnson, uh, thanks to some maybe some different personnel usages, adding uh, another wide receiver in the form of Malcolm Epps on the field instead of a tight end, uh, and adding several different RPO looks. So you saw Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay get free, and they were getting free over the middle. And it wasn't because you know they just forgot to cover them. It's because that RPO brought the linebackers down and was able to get them the ball in space. Yeah, and they lined Colin Johnson up in the slot, and they actually sent him in motion for maybe the first time in his Texas career this past Saturday. It was a nice wrinkle to this Texas offense. I'm a big proponent of you got to put your best wide receivers in the slot. I mean, the evidence is there. The proof is in the pudding at Texas. Look what LJ did last year. Look what Devin DuVernay is doing this year in the slot. Why not put Colin Johnson in the slot? Put him at the Y, put Devin DuVernay at the H, and you've got two extremely talented, two of the best wide receivers in college football in the slot, which is tougher for defenses to play against. And you wrote a great piece on Inside Texas talking about the success that Texas had when they went to 10 personnel, right? I don't know if we would have seen this wrinkle if Cade Brewer was healthy, and I would never wish injury upon anybody, but I'm almost glad Cade Brewer's not out there right now because you get to see this 10 personnel that really worked against Kansas State. I think you wrote they averaged nearly 6.8 yards per play when they went to this four-wide receiver, one running back look on the field, and it allows you to slide Colin Johnson inside because you can put Malcolm Epps as one of the outside receivers. That was a nice wrinkle, and I hope we see more of that this weekend. Yeah, and one more thing on that. I guess a couple other things, just rapid fire. Chris Nagar, the uh, new— N. The the I'm sure. worried to say his name. I'll let you say his the name. The new the new punter in uh, Ryan Buchevsky's absence. Not bad. Three three punts, forty three yards a kick, two inside the twenty. Worth mentioning. Yeah. Good gold star for him. And he's the holder. Exactly. Solid hold on the uh, game winning field goal by Dicker the kicker. Cameron Dicker just goes out there and kicks field goals, looks like an idiot walking into the stadium. <laughs> uh, what is that? He, I've he, never seen that look before. Apparently he does that every week. Yeah, he claimed after the game the point of that is, you know, once he's past all the Bevo Boulevard stuff, he thinks, okay, I'm I'm past it. I'm walking into the facility. I guess LHN had one camera a little bit deeper than normal and was able to catch him getting ready to go get ready in the <laughs> locker room. Uh, but, hey, you know, kickers are weird. Maybe you want your kickers to be weird. I've always kind of had this theory that the less your kicker really cares about football – Probably the better because he may not really understand what's going on. Obviously, he he's a guy who went to Lake Travis. He's at Texas. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. But at the same time, if you're carefree about dang near everything, you're probably going to be carefree about trying to kick field goals. I think that shows that he's got confidence, mm-hmm. right, willing to have that look to walk shirtless with a tie hanging around your neck like uh, you're leaving a bar mitzvah or a wedding or something like that. Yeah, he must hate the state of Kansas, dude. The game winner against KU, the game winner against K-State. 
Uh, I was born in Kansas, so I'm worried if he ever sees me, he's going to kick my ass or something on the streets. Literally so kick concerned. it? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, got to mention those guys, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the final drive of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, to kill six minutes and 45 seconds off the clock in what was a tie football game, you couldn't draw it up any better than that. I mean, that was clinical. 13 plays, 67 yards, taking 645 off the clock and then setting yourself up with a chip shot, game-winning field goal. It was almost deja vu with the game in Manhattan last year, right? A little bit different because Texas was winning that game. It was 19-14. to But Texas got the ball with about five minutes to go, and they never gave Kansas State a shot. Mm-hmm. They killed all five minutes. They ran out the clock and route to that five-point win. Similar this year, but in a tie game, Texas takes 645 off the clock, kick a field goal, and never gives the Kansas State offense another opportunity to come back and get the win. So we've talked about it. This defense, they played really well on Saturday. Still the obvious weakness of this football team. This offense knows that they need to go out and steal some games. That drive right there was evidence of them doing just that. Yeah, Deshaun Jameson saving the game with a punt return yeah. last year, saving the game with a pass breakup of Dalton Schoen that led to that game-tying field goal instead of, you know, if he hadn't made that play, a game-winning touchdown. But Texas moves on with the win. It, uh, I've always, I used to have a saying when I was a student that the guy that they tell to turn the tower orange – they don't really have to tell them the score. They just tell them to go flip the white switch. Uh, that was the case in this game, and of course against the top, you know, top twenty team, maybe you'll take that every time. Yeah. And if you win in a fashion that you probably did it in a way Kansas State expected to win. Too. So now it gets a little tougher, Joe, on the road at Ames, Iowa. You're going to be at this game leaving be, Friday. Oh man, it's going to be. I got. I had to go to Houston this past week. I made sure to get basically every big jacket out of my closet. I don't think I have a jacket big enough for Ames, Iowa. Well, it's 40 degrees, and you also have shorts on right now. Well, we're inside. We're mm. recording this inside. If we were recording this outside, I'd be wearing pants. It's as simple as that, Dan. But uh, Texas making the trip up to Ames, Iowa. The Cyclones, blackout. You seen their jerseys? I, I'm normally not a fan of non not wearing your school colors. But when they did that redesign a couple of years ago to make them not be USC anymore, I think they did it right, mm-hmm. especially when they made sure to get the collars right and not have that weird black collar on a red yeah, jersey. Yeah. But now I think they've got they, – they made their right look. And I remember asking Matt Campbell about that at Big 12 Media Days. He said, we're, we're going to make something that's distinct to Iowa State, and I think they've definitely done that. All black, black top, black pants, black shoes, black socks, and the black helmet as well. It is a pretty cool look. I prefer the blackout look for night games. I just think it looks really cool under the light. But, uh, man, that tells you that this is a big game for Iowa State. They're going to be amped up to take on Texas. Texas has beaten the Cyclones three years in a row. The Longhorns 14-2 and all-time against Iowa State. So now that Iowa State feels like it finally has a reputable football program, uh, they want to beat Texas. They know what it's like to be in this conference. you got to beat the big dogs, Texas and Oklahoma. Nearly beat OU last week in Norman. They're going to be extra amped up. And Iowa State's a seven-point favorite in this game. Despite Texas winning three in a row, despite the domination of the Longhorns over the Cyclones, despite Texas having a better record than Iowa State, ISU a seven-point favorite. This will be a tall task for Tom Herman and company to get this one done. Yeah, this is going to be a different Brock Purdy than they faced last year. Like you mentioned, this is a team that's not afraid to throw the ball a little bit more than they were last year. And while Texas had that advantage against Kansas State, when they got into those heavy personnels, Iowa State did the la- same thing last year and what scored 14 points or 10 points 10 last points. year. Yeah. They're not going to be doing that as much this season. 
and I think that's going to lead to some problems for the Texas defense. The more Texas is able to go against conventional offenses on defense, the better they have a chance, the better chance they have. When they have to go against these spread passing attacks, you know, that pass the ball 62 times against Oklahoma State, <laughs> that's going to be some problems. Are you excited to possibly see the Texas secondary drop back in the coverage 35 or more times? No, not at all. And we mentioned this talking about Kansas State. Like the K-State Wildcats offensive game plan played directly into Todd Orlando's hands. This is still one of the worst pass defenses in all of college football. And everybody's going to be healthy, right? Because Chris Brown's been cleared to play. And Overshone's been cleared to play. And you've got Caden Stearns back and B.J. Foster. Just now, missing Jalen Green. You will miss Jalen Green for the first half. That's due to suspension, not due to health. But you've got a the healthiest your secondary has been all year. You will have that on Saturday against Iowa State. But still, I don't feel great about it. These guys have struggled to cover. This team has struggled to get a consistent pass rush on opposing quarterbacks as well. And Iowa State's just one of the best passing offenses in the country. I mentioned it, Brock Purdy, sixth in the country in passing yards. Deshante Jones, a really talented receiver. How about this? Tariq Milton, the second leading receiver on Iowa State. He's fourth in the country, averaging nearly 23 yards per catch. He is a downfield deep ball threat, and you think, oh, this guy must be 6'5", 6'6". They just throw it up to him like Hakeem Butler or like Alan Lazard. This guy's 5'10". He's just faster than everybody on the field. He is a stud. They've got two really, really good receivers, and then they've got something that Texas hasn't had to defend a lot this year. That is a good tight end. This Charlie Kohler kid, 6'6", 250, putting up ridiculous numbers, a beast in the red zone. And oh, by the way, he's from Norman, so you can bet he hates Texas, so he's going to be extra amped up to beat the Longhorns this Saturday. Iowa State has some weapons in their passing game. This will be a very, very tough test. I mean, you could argue, Joe, Brock Purdy is the second-best passing quarterback Texas has seen this year. Nobody's on Joe Burrow's level right now. That guy might be the number one pick. He's your Heisman favorite. But Brock Purdy might be the second-best pure passer this defense has seen, and we've seen this defense look pretty pedestrian against passers who are way worse than Brock Purdy. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. I, I Going back to Kolar, that is – going back to not only Kolar but the rest of the team, You know, I think he was the intended receiver on that two-point conversion play uh, for Iowa State. Where was the P.I.? It hadn't been there all year against uh, Oklahoma DBs. Yeah. But not only do you have Kolar, but the rest of the team, after missing it by just one point, you think they're definitely going to be motivated for this game. Everybody's motivated for every game. Everybody's motivated in the Big 12 to play Texas. But this is a team that doesn't want to drop to 5-5, five and five, especially when they had a lot of big uh, expectations this year, thinking that they might have been Big 12 title contenders. I don't think they still are, but you know this is a game in a in a program that I think, as Scipio mentioned on on everyone gets a trophy, they still play hard no matter what's going on, and that's definitely going to be the case this upcoming weekend, and it's definitely going to probably be the case in this cold weather. I'm really curious to see how Texas is able to adjust in this cold weather because of you know the pro spread offense they run. They're probably not. Opposed to, you know, if they want to run it just 40 times and pass it 22 times, they may just do that. Well, I think may... that benefits Texas. Right. No, I, I think the cold weather, even though Texas isn't as used to playing in it as Iowa State is, I think that benefits Texas because passing games generally suffer more than rushing attacks when the weather's a little bit cold. And if there's precipitation, that's, I, I think, an, no yeah, for you in the state. Well, you're in the press box. Uh, 
don't, don't have to worry about that. I have to drive in it, though. What, are you going to tailgate? You're going to try to be like the Iowa State jerseys and black out before the game? No, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like that? Yeah, that was it's too easy. Well, the well fans, played. the fans might be no, blacked out as well. I've got like my red player. and yellow overalls ready to go. Oh well, and done. just the overalls. That is a weird look. It's it's it's, it's Iowa, man. Yeah, but I, I mean, I do think the the weather could play in Texas's favor because I think Texas has better running backs than Iowa State, and they obviously have a better rushing quarterback than Iowa State does. So if this does turn into a physical fist fight old-school smash-mouth type of game like we saw against Kansas State, that's advantage Texas. I just don't know, regardless of weather. I just feel like Matt Campbell is a smart enough coach to know, hey, that secondary kind of sucks. Yeah. And we've got a quarterback and receivers who can pick them apart. We should be throwing the ball 40-plus times on Saturday. One thing I really want to see how Texas handles is who are they going to cover Charlie Kolar with? Or, yeah, Co- like Kolar. I can't remember if it's Charlie or not. I did have it, it is. right in front yeah. of me. Yeah, Charlie Kolar. Um, are you going to put B.J. Foster on him in order to you know, put a, a great athlete on him, but at the same time maybe taking away what Foster is able to do in the box? Are you going to risk putting a linebacker like Delia Dayaway or Juwan Mitchell? Are you going to maybe use a safety to come down and, and help out? Do you possibly go dime against a passing mm. offense like this and you know, have one of those guy, another guy out there? I'm really curious to see how they play Kolar defensively. What about the 38 special? The Cowboy package, you've got all of your defensive backs healthy against a pass-happy offense. What about the eight defensive back look on the field for Texas on Saturday? Maybe we'll see that. We haven't seen it in a while. That could be a part of this defensive game plan against a pass-first type of offense. Boy, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know how you stop Charlie Kohler. I mean, a 6'6", 250 tight end who can move like he can. You could put B.J. Foster on him. He obviously has the speed to stay with him, but you're giving up seven inches of height for B.J. Foster, who's about 5'11". So there's no ideal matchup for this Texas team because I don't think you really have a linebacker. Maybe Joseph Osai, but I also want him to be near the line of scrimmage wreaking havoc in the backfield. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. Dime package, the Cowboy package, uh, more zone defense. Curious to see how Texas handles the tight end because, let's be honest, this team avoided Grant Calcaterra with mm-hmm. Oklahoma, like they have they seen a really good tight end this year? I don't think Thaddeus Moss was at the level he was against Alabama in Austin when they played. Yeah, him, if so I remember th- right. this so. might be. I mean, we've seen good tight ends in the past. Look, Grant Calcaterra in the Big Twelve title game torched Todd Orlando. So maybe that's the last time Texas has gone up against a tight end this good. That is fascinating because that dude is good enough to almost beat you by himself. I I really do wonder though what the the crowd is going to be like. It's obviously going to be amped up. It's obviously this is a game that they really get up for. For some reason, I remember speaking with you know Malik Jefferson and Patrick Bahe last year and two years ago uh, in media settings that this crowd is kind of nasty. Like kids were screaming obscenities. <laughs> Hell at, yeah! At, at Texas. Oh, what else is there play. to do in Ames, Iowa? Man, come on! I Hilton Magic. Nah, they just talk so much noise. They uh, they rip you, man. That's all it is. The, the only thing I found to do in Ames a couple of years ago on that Thursday game was uh, go to Starbucks, and I stayed at that Starbucks and watched foot and it just. I had to watch TV on star- in Starbucks on my computer oh, for a couple you hours. you go out and party with the, no, the I was kids? A, There's not a good bar scene in, uh, in Ames? Not on Wednesday nights, but there aren't bad places to go in Des Moines. Uh, but I'm actually staying in Ames this time, so we'll see how mm. that goes. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is probably going to be – this is a game where you've got to prove that you're – you've got to prove why 
you shouldn't be a seven-point underdog to this team. Jack Trice, real name, no gimmicks. What about Texas offensively against Iowa State's defense? Iowa State third in the Big 12 in points per game allowed, fourth in the Big 12 in terms of total defense. Um, The one real weakness for Iowa State, just looking statistically, they are not good on third downs. They are ninth out of ten teams in the Big 12, giving up 42% third down conversions meanwhile texas is number one in this conference converting nearly 53 percent of third down so that's the one obvious on paper advantage that texas has against the iowa state defense but uh, what are you expecting offensively from tom herman and company this saturday i think they're definitely going to have to respect uh the iowa state linebackers that may be the strength of their defense uh the defensive line is good and they play a very similar style of of defense uh, at least somewhat schematically to what Texas does, but they've got great linebackers. Orion Vance, Mike Rose, uh, Spears, I can't remember his first name. That's a strength of their defense, and you're gonna. it's going to be interesting to see if Texas continues to use 10 personnel, if that Texas offensive line that, oh, by the way, lacking Junior Angulau right now, mm-hmm. is going to be able to get to those uh, linebackers. So I'm really curious to see early on how the running game is able to fare even though the wide receivers haven't had the best of seasons outside of Duvernay, they should be able to win their matchups against the uh, Iowa State defensive backs. But I really want to see how the run game is able to handle because, like you mentioned, throwing in the cold, not the easiest thing to do. Having to do that down after down, if your running game isn't working, that's going to be a tough way to to get points up in Ames. Yeah, you need to go full Kansas State if you're Texas this Saturday. Like you need a you need to time a possession Iowa State to death. You need to keep Brock Purdy off the field as much as you can, and that happens by establishing the run. Texas did a good job once again, averaged six yards a carry against Kansas State. You need a lot of designed quarterback runs for Sam Ellinger. He's going to need a nice ice bath after the game. I mean, he's going to be banged up and bruised up from this one, but that needs to happen for Texas to win. You need another good performance from Keontae Ingram. He's been inconsistent. One week he looks incredible. The next week it's like, why is this guy even on the field? Put Rojo out there. You need him. You need Rojo. Maybe Jordan Whittington. I don't know, but you need a strong performance from your rushing attack. And as healthy as the defense is going into this game, the offense a little banged up. You mentioned no junior Angelau. That means Kerstetter's got to slide inside to play guard, and you've got Denzel Okafor at right tackle. That was okay against Kansas State once Angelau got hurt. That was fine. They still performed pretty well as a unit against the Wildcats, but how does that translate on the road? And also, I'm going to make this very simple before we give our actual predictions. If Colin Johnson doesn't play, and he's battling a hamstring injury, according to Tom Herman at his Monday press conference, If Colin Johnson can't play, Texas has no shot. No shot to win this football game. That is how important he is to the success of this offense. Last week, seven targets, seven completions, 110 yards, and a touchdown. A perfect passer rating when they targeted Colin Johnson. And we've seen it when he hasn't been on the field this year. This offense just doesn't have enough talent at wide receiver outside of Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson to be successful. So if he can't go, or if he only plays 10 snaps, X number of snaps, Texas is not going to win this football game. That's how important number nine is. Yeah, you lose, you you probably lose that wrinkle that they developed against Kansas State. Yeah. You can't put him in the slot because you know you need Malcolm Epps out there full time instead of playing you know kind of all over the place. Then who do you put in that extra wide receiver spot? Jake Smith, who's been 
a little bit unreliable in the coaches who have said over and over they don't want to put too much on his plate at this point. He's not in the doghouse, is he? He's not in the doghouse. He's just being a freshman. Okay. He's, he's, you know, freshman hit walls. He's had great. He's had several good games, but at you know, I, there were heavy expectations I think laid on him by the fan base. When you get a nickname like Jake Shipley, I guess it's <laughs> going to come with that. Uh, be that's going to be in the territory, but he's still a freshman, and and I think we're seeing the struggles that freshmen go through. I mean, Malcolm Epps barely played last year. Now he's being trusted with a lot more, even as a redshirt freshman, because he had that extra year. So if Colin Johnson can't play, I'm really curious as if they can if they can maintain that wrinkle, bring it back again with different personnel, and who do you even do it with? you trust John Burt, who's John Burt at this point? You know exactly what you're getting with him. I, I really don't know. Do you get Marcus Washington out there and some first action, uh, first extended action? Alvante Woodard has seen time, but really has not done a single thing so far at this point. I really don't know what you're able to do offensively as far as adding those wrinkles in if you can't get Colin Johnson on the field. Yeah, they're probably not. They're probably going to go back to 11 personnel and put either Jared Wiley or Reese Leto in at tight end, which I think those guys have bright futures at Texas, but not a lot of experience, not a lot of playing time and they're not the type of player that Colin Johnson is. I think that goes without saying. Prediction time? Sure. We ready? Maybe keys to the game into your prediction. Texas, a seven-point underdog on the road at Iowa State. Iowa State looking to beat Texas for the first time in four years, just the third time in school history. What do you think goes down? Does Texas extend the winning streak to two, or does Iowa State get some revenge on the Longhorns, and uh, do what Vegas is expecting them to do. I went against Vegas last week, but I'm going to go with them this week. I I, I think Iowa State's going to be able to pull this one out at home. 5-4 and four doesn't really reflect how good they are, especially when they just took Oklahoma to the brink in Norman last week. And if Colin Johnson doesn't play, which hasn't really been determined at this point as we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, like you said, those chances shoot way down. So... I think it's a little bit indicative of some of the stuff Herman has done that in year three of his program with stacked recruiting classes that Iowa State is still favored. That's also indicative of what Matt Campbell has done in his tenure, credit to him. But I'm going to go with Vegas on this one. I, mm. I do think that uh, Iowa State wins this one. I don't know if it's going to be a big shootout with all this, you know, their passing offense just because of some of the climate. I think they get to 30. I don't know if Texas gets to 30. And I said that last week. But I, I feel a little bit a little bit more stronger about it this week. Give me a score. Thirty-five twenty-four. Thirty-five twenty-four. Iowa State gets the win. Man, I'm supposed to be the negative one on this podcast. Come on. I guess you and I are in the same boat. You know, we both were students at the University of Texas during one of the worst four-year runs in the history of Longhorn football. So we're both beaten and battered and scarred uh, from what we've seen. I'm going to give two predictions. I'm going to cheat here. If Colin Johnson plays, I'm still picking Iowa State either way. I mean, if Colin Johnson plays, Texas will cover the seven. I think they'll lose by somewhere between three to six. If Colin Johnson doesn't go, Iowa State wins by 10 to 14 points. So I'll go 35 to, what did you say, 35-24? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm not doing 35 then. I'll go 38 to 28. I think Ass Alley gets a field goal. Yeah, what is this? How do you actually pronounce that? The kicker of Iowa State's last name is A S S A L L E Y. Assali? Assali? 
Let me see what the pronunci- it can't be Ass Alley. Let's dude. see what the pronunciation guy. That would be says. hilarious if he just took one for the team and went by Ass Alley, but I doubt his parents and his parents' parents were going to let that fly. It might be a Sally. It has to be a Sally. Who knows? A Sally, Assali. I don't know what you're going with there, but uh, yeah, it could be an Ass Alley game-winning field goal. That would suck. All right, so uh, for the second week in a row, we're both picking the opponents. Hopefully we're wrong again like we were last week. All right, Joe, let's uh, talk a little Texas hoops, man. Texas 3-0 and on the season. You mentioned it. We're recording this on Wednesday. So last night, Tuesday night, at the Irwin Center, Texas knocks off Cal Baptist. The Lancers, whatever the hell that is, of California Baptist, 67-54, to the final. Rough first half for Texas. They were only up by four going into the break. Texas was only shooting 28% as a team. They were 2 of 16 from three-point land in the first half. And I'll be honest, I was thinking, all right, here we go again. Like, this is a microcosm of the Shaka Smart era. They go on the road to Mackey Arena in a hostile environment and beat a ranked Purdue team, and we're all getting our hopes up. We're all excited. Texas basketball, we're back, baby. We're finally back. We're relevant again. And then, oh, here we go. Texas is going to struggle. They're going to pull a Texas football and play down to their competition and make this game against Cal Baptist way more interesting than it needs to be. Thankfully, that wasn't really the case in the second half. Uh, Texas scored 41 points, shot 64% as a team, way better from downtown as well. And this was a three-point game with seven and a half to go. But after Cal Baptist cut it to three, Texas went on a 7 nothing run, and they kind of commanded the final few minutes of this one at the Irwin Center. So I watched this one from home, and I think everybody noticed in the first half how Texas was getting decent looks from beyond the arc. They were just missing them all. They were building houses out there uh, from behind the arc. And it wasn't just the main guys. It was guys like it was Will Baker who hit, missed a couple of his open shots. Kamaka Hepa missed his open shot. Even Brock Cunningham, who's not really a shooter, but you know when you get open corner looks, you're going to take him, missed his shot. And then going into halftime, Shaka Smart told Longhorn Network, we got to start getting to the rim more. And that's what, uh, that's what Texas was able to do. Uh, I think you were able to see that with how Courtney Ramey played, career-high 19 points. And then you had Jericho Sims really come on in the second half, not only show some touch around the rim, but show some aggression around the rim. He was getting... Getting physical, he needs to be more decisive with getting the ball back up towards the basket. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they were making sure that you know they went away from what they knew was not working very well in the first half and started to emphasize what was working well on offense in the second half. Yeah, Courtney, Gra- Courtney Ramey, very aggressive, 15 of his 19 in the second half. First career double-double for Jericho Sims, and that's what you got to do. When you're playing a whack team like Cal Baptist, and I don't mean to call them whack, that's just the conference that they're Western in. Athletic the conference. Western Athletic no Conference. Western Athletic Conference. No K. Yeah, when you're a Big 12 team playing a team like that, the one obvious advantage you have is size, is length. And there's nobody who could guard Jericho Sims on Cal Baptist, so he needed to dominate, and he did just that. Uh, what about the win against Purdue, man? I mean, I want to just overlook that, even though that's the second most recent game for Texas. Going into Mackey Arena, that was a crazy crowd. Uh, sort of a bucket list place for me to watch a college basketball game. Honestly, if it wasn't football season and there wasn't a Longhorn game that day, I probably would have found a way up there to go watch this one. I didn't have that high of expectations Texas was an eight-point underdog against the Boilermakers. They not only cover, but they get the win. I think they closed out on a 13-4 to run mm-hmm. to get the victory over the Boilermakers. First win in the Shaka Smart era against a non-conference ranked team on the road. 
I think I've got that right. Not to go mm-hmm. full ESPN stats and info, Elias Sports Bureau on all of you out there. But uh, that was a very impressive win. And look, Texas beat Purdue last year. They beat Purdue last year, a better Purdue team that went to the Elite Eight, and they still missed the tournament. But it is a good resume-boosting win for this team come March. Exactly, and I think that game showed you a lot of why Gerald Liddell, as soon as he got out of the concussion protocol, was inserted back into the lineup. 14 points, 8 rebounds. That guy, he had to grow up a lot last year. He had to grow up a lot coming out of Cibolo Steel High School. And so far, it looks as, as if he has this season. Uh, gotten some foul trouble against Cal Baptist, but against uh, Purdue, I mean, 14, 8, eight 4 assists, 35 minutes for a guy in his first game of the season, that's stepping up to the performance. That uh, That's stepping up and making a big performance. But Matt Coleman, if, if you can get your guards, even just one of them, to be in that you know 15 to 18 to sometimes 20-point range, you're going to probably win some games. If you can get both of them to be not only scorers but creators – at the same time, you're going to be a very tough team to beat in the Big 12 Conference. But then, of course, I think one thing that cannot be ignored again, and I don't think will be ignored this season, is Andrew Jones. To mm-hmm. step up, not only to for Shaka Smart to still trust him in crunch time, because this is a guy playing his first like extended basketball in almost two years, but for him to have that trust and knock down four huge free throws that you know if he doesn't make that, a tie ball game, or at least Purdue has better chances uh, in order to tie the ball game. Those are huge, and I think you're seeing this team grow up a lot. It's it's why this season has been pointed to so much because of the experience Texas has without having to rely too much on so many of these young players that they've had to year after year after year. Uh, this was a game where that really came to to help them out. Yeah, and that's what gives me some confidence with this Texas basketball team. I don't have a whole lot with Shaka Smart as the head coach still, but you need guards to win in college hoops in 2019, and this Texas team has talent and experience in the backcourt. And to the rest of the country, Andrew Jones is going to be a hell of a story, not to diminish the story, it's an awesome story regardless of where you are, but to the success of this basketball team, Andrew Jones has to be really good. He is one of the best players on this roster. He has lived up to that billing. Uh, I don't know what is fair to expect from him. Like, Can he get back to how good he was a couple of years ago? I don't know. But you're right, the fact that he's playing in crunch time and making clutch plays for this team, that guy's going to be very important to how far this Texas team goes this year. Yeah, remember, he he toyed with the draft uh, after his freshman year, and, and then he came back and unfortunately went, received his diagnosis. But this is, this is a talented player. This was a guy I thought might have been the most electric open floor player in the Big 12 during his freshman year. Uh, and just to show how long of a road he's had since he's – I mean, there's so many different details. But the final dunk against Cal Baptist, he said, was his first dunk in a couple of years. Yeah, that, that's first that, in-game dunk, right? It's just un- unbelievable. Yeah. Just another unbelievable detail after another unbelievable detail. But you did mention that tech, you need guards to win in college basketball, and that's very true. And I think Texas has some of the best guards or at least you know dribblers they've had in several years. The thing is, you need reputable front-court play especially in the defense, and that is going to be Texas's biggest question going forward. Fouls seem to have been an issue constantly for bigs under Shaka Smart. Maybe that's college basketball. I don't know if that's just a, a issue uh, centered around Smart's defense and now Yock, Luke Yaklich's defense. But here's the thing. Texas's best post defender 
although he's springy, although he's dynamic, he's still 6'8". And when you're going against some of the better uh, post players in this conference, in this country, that might start to present itself as an issue. And then his backup is kind of by committee or Will Baker, yeah. whose biggest concern coming into college was his physicality in the post. So you're very you're correct. You do need good guards to win in this conference, to win in college basketball. But you also need to make sure that your quality of post play is enough to where it doesn't cost you games. And at this point, it hasn't quite yet. Uh, you know, what's his name? Harms? Harms? Matt Harms. Matt mm-hmm. Harms from Purdue, a big guy. It was limited-ish to nine points, but 50% from the field. Uh, you've got to be able to stop guys that are better than him, and I'm not exactly quite sure who on Texas is going to be able to do that at this point. Yeah, I don't think they have anybody, but I will say this is the closest roster that Shaka Smart has had to his VCU Final Four team since he's been at Texas. Now, it's different. This is not a tournament where no one's expecting what you're running, and you know, teams like Kansas, who lost to VCU that year, like they, they don't really know how to go up against it. Everybody knows what Shaka Smart is trying to do, but... Maybe that's a good thing, right, that uh, you can maybe full-court press with the lack of size. Maybe you can play four guards uh, in this conference and get away with that. We will see. But that's, yeah, you're right, 100%. That's the biggest question mark for this team as we inch closer to conference play. And then the game against Georgetown next Thursday. And if they win a likely game against Duke, like they have some big boys. And that'll be a tough test for Jericho Sims. And if Sims gets into foul trouble, you're right, what do they do behind him? That'll be interesting. But good start for Texas Hoops. If they beat Prairie View A&M on Friday, they might be ranked, which is a good thing, going into their Madison Square Garden matchups as part of the 2K Classic next week. So far, so good for Texas basketball. But, you know, just make the tournament, man. Just make the damn tournament. It's November still. I know, but make the tournament. At least they're not losing bye games to Evansville. How about that? Big Blue Nation, baby. Kansas transfer. Sam Cunliffe, 17 points, a couple of clutch free throws. Down goes BBN. Boy, being the number one team is bad in college hoops this year. First time ever in the month of November where two number one teams have lost, and it's November 13th. If Duke's number one next week and Texas beats him, that'll be, oh, my God. There's going to be more parity in college hoops this year than ever before. It's awesome. You should start watching now, but you won't because nobody cares about basketball. Just watch the Bill Walton games. Yeah. (laughs) Dave Pash, Bill Walton, the Pac-12 after dark games. All right. We need our lock of the week. What was mine last week? I'm trying to look that up. I lost my lock of the week last week. My lock of it the week? It was Penn State. Oh, row the boat, baby. And row the boat, P.J. Fleck. Not only did they cover the six and a half, they won outright against the Nittany Lions of PSU. So that halted a two-game win streak for me. You lost yours. You had Arizona State over mm-hmm. USC. And I'm pretty sure USC won. They yep. were winning. I don't even remember the final score of that one. So... Yeah, your streak of one correct lock of the week came to an end. My streak of two came to an end. Uh, the Cousins did hit a Washington and Baylor parlay, though. There you go. Well done there, sir. Oh, Baylor, you lucky son of a bitch. That was a ridiculous <laughs> cover. They should not have covered. Uh, yeah, my cousin had a relatively rough weekend this past weekend. Do not. Here's some gambling advice. Entertainment purposes only. Do not do two things. Get drunk and then bet on Mountain West after dark football. And then when you're losing a bet, this is not just when you're drunk and betting on Mountain West. When you're losing a bet, do not double down with live bets. Mm. I lost. It's uh, double down or hedging? You double oh, down. Oh, I doubled down. Ooh. I lost. I made five bets on Boise State, Wyoming, and I lost four of them. 
Thankfully, I won a Boise State money line pick as that game went to overtime. But there's some friendly advice for you and your cousins out there. Don't be like me. All right, Joe, lock of the week for week 12 of the college football season. What are you thinking? It's not going to be uh, Ohio Ohio State's lines right now are absolutely ridiculous. I think last time I saw it, it was like a 50-and-a-half point line. I'm seeing 52-and-a-half right Ooh, now. Against Rutgers yep. and all the Scarlet Knights, they're, they're they're scrappy, but I don't think they're scrappy enough. Are you they? No. I don't wonder, what, what do you think that line is if Chase Young is playing? 55-and-a-half, 56-and-a-half, maybe yeah, more. Just, just too many points. I think you get it down a little bit and might and I might think about it, but that's not my lock of the week. That What is it, minus 600,000 money line? <laughs> plus Can two, you make that your lock of the week, Ohio uh, State money line? Put 600,000 down to win a, a one Benjamin? I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. My lock of the week is... I'm going to go with Wisconsin over Nebraska. They're going into Lincoln, uh, they're, and I think they're going to cover that 15-point spread. Wow. I, I, you know, I wanted to believe in Scott Frost, but I'm not sure if I can at this point, especially with Wisconsin coming in and probably going to be able to run all over them in Lincoln on Saturday. Man, I want to pick a Wednesday night Matt game so bad, but I haven't done the research I need uh, to make that my lock of the week for either Miami, Ohio, Bowling Green, or Toledo, Northern Illinois. There's two that I'm leaning. Ah, to hell with it. I'm going Ohio State. 52.5, not enough points. They beat Rutgers, something similar to what OU did to A&M, like 77 to nothing. I think this game's going to be like 70 to 7. Even though it's in Piscataway, Ohio State is going to mop like that the means floor. Something. Yeah, like that means something, exactly. The other one I would go with, and look, Ohio State's my pick. I'm not changing my mind, but another one I really like, K-State minus 14 at home against West Virginia. West Virginia is terrible, man. They got walloped at home by Tech last week. K-State looking to get back on track after Texas. I really like that one, too, but I'm going the Ohio State as the lock of the week for Week 12. Did we miss anything? We good to go? I think we got it all. Okay. You're wearing your Astros hat. Any comments on uh, the asterisks, the Houston asterisks, the cheaters out there that you guys are? If you're going to act like the Patriots, and I understand everything that comes with that, you better win titles. And if you just act like the jackass team of the league but don't actually win anything for it, you kind of become even bigger jackass. Yeah, it's been a rough month for the Houston Astros organization with the Tobman firing the obviously losing the World Series, the oh, Reed, yeah. Reed and Nolan Ryan handling situations, and now this. Uh, not great, Bob, for the Houston Astros. We'll see what Major League Baseball does, and we'll definitely talk about this at some point in a future episode. Maybe on the uh, radio show, Midday with Trey and BK. Joe Cook is going to join us in studio on Friday from 11 to 12, so we might get into that conversation there. All right, that's going to do it for us. Once again, want to give some love to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstat Beer. Thank you very much for your support. Always appreciate the love from you guys as well. Please like and share and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Rate us five stars and listen to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. It's already up for the week with Paul and Kevin Dunn. And send us an email. Everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. That's the number one. Everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. Follow Joe on Twitter at josephcook89 and check out the work he does at insidetexas.com and follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. For Joe Cook, I am BK. Thank you all for listening and until next time, y'all have a good one and hook them.